Hi everybody, this is Karun Chando coming to you straight after the Australian Grand Prix. What a cracking start we've had to the new Formula 1 season. I mean, coming here to Albert Park in Melbourne is really one of the favourites for, for pretty much, I think, the whole paddock. It's a great feel, great atmosphere. We're all very close to the beach. You can walk into work. I think that adds a real um, sort of bounce in your step when you rock up here. And added to that, the intrigue of the new season, what what we've seen in pre-season testing, is that going to translate to what we see when when it comes to the money end of the weekend on, on Saturday afternoon and Sunday in qualifying in the race? So, um, th- there's a really interesting feel. Added to that this year, the whole paddock, I must say, there's a, there's a different atmosphere because this is the first weekend really of the post-Bernie Eccleston era. Um, Sean Bratches, Chase Carey, Ross Braun were all here over the weekend and there was a totally different feel, you know, they, uh, in the way that the, the people involved in the sport and the people involved uh, with the teams and the, the um, marketing people and the sponsors, there was, there was definitely a different tone to it all. The effect of that we'll really get to see I think only down the line. Right now, they seem to be very much in a uh, let's watch and observe sort of phase. Um, you know, there's a lot of things that are happening differently. You know, social media is one side that I think we've already seen. But really, the true effects will only come in 2020 um, when the new agreements come into place. But yeah, certainly, you know, there's, there are much more, um, there's, there's more openness in terms of the people being able to bring in um, more guests into the paddock, more people onto the grid, all that kind of stuff is is quite different to what it was before. So um, there are lots of changes, um, but as I said, I think the true true crux of it we'll only see down the line. So let's go to the Grand Prix itself. I mean, is this the big return of Ferrari? What a fantastic race. There are lots of people out there who have been um, talking about, oh, what a dull race, it wasn't enough overtaking. And I think that's wrong. I really enjoyed the Grand Prix. I, I think there was um, a story to it in the way that we used to have. I think pe- people often look at the past with rose-tinted glasses and forget the the great days of the late 90s or the, the early 2000s where we had great racing. Um, and, you know, we had people look at us, oh, that was fantastic F1. But you'd only have one or two changes of position up at the front, but they were fundamental, they were key changes, and that's what we saw. Um, you know, think of the days with Schumacher and, and Hakkinen, for example, at Suzuka, uh, or Schumacher Alonso at Imola, or go back even further, Mansell and, and Senna at Monaco in 92. You know, I think there's the anticipation of something about to happen is just as intriguing and interesting in a Grand Prix as what's actually happening itself. Um, and, and I thought this was a great race. Uh, uh, you know, I think it's great for Formula One to see Ferrari back. We sort of saw signs of it in pre-season testing. Uh, I spent you know a bit of time trackside and we talked about it in our podcast at Motorsport a bit earlier as well. You know, in pre-season testing, the Ferrari looked really, really strong on the long runs especially. And, and w- there were some question marks about the ultimate one-lap pace because I think the, the Merck, we know from last year they could turn the engines up. And, and, and when you came 
through the weekend, that sort of seemed the theme, you know, over one lap in qualifying, the Ferrari a couple tenths shy and, you know, but come the race, when they run a consistent engine mode, when they're all running their sort of race engine modes, um, the Ferrari seems to be working really well and in particular they seem less harsh on the tyres. You know, Seb was behind Lewis in the dirty air and yet was able to run around at, at a pace where he, he could potentially go faster. Um, ultimately, Lewis and Mercedes chose to pit, I believe, because the gap to Sebastian, I was watching it, there was 1.9 seconds. And then over a two-lap phase, he brought it down, it came to 1.5 and then to 0.9. So he, he started closing in. And I, I think Mercedes believed in that stage that they were under threat of an undercut from Sebastian, meaning he would go pit earlier, change to a fresh set of tyres before Lewis and, and come out of the pits ahead. And they were between, Toto Wolff said to me, his exact words were, we were between a rock and a hard place. Do we bring Lewis in and avoid being undercut by Sebastian? Or do we leave him out there and, and you know, he's talking, complaining about struggling with his tyres? So, um, in the end, I think they should have left him out there for another maybe three laps because then he would have cleared Max Verstappen. Um, and really at that stage, you know, if Seb had come into pit and done, tried to do the undercut, he would have been stuck behind Max, which, uh, which in the end um, is what caught Lewis, and, or rather cost Lewis and Mercedes the Grand Prix. So, yeah, it, it was nice to see, because we talked about it a lot last year, how Ferrari, there were a lot of moments where strategically they made some calls which proved to be incorrect at the end of the race, but th this time they got it absolutely bang on and uh, it was really, really good to see. I think it's great for F1. Um, and we have a real world, world championship battle on our hand where we have one team faster in qualifying, potentially, and another team faster in the races. And I think we're going to see some fantastic racing all through this season. A lot of it's going to depend on updates, though. Can Ferrari keep pushing on with the upgrades and updates to match what Mercedes will do because this year the learning curve, listening to people in the paddock, the learning curve is exponential and, and the amount of development is just going to go. So um, we'll have to see how that goes. Uh, a couple of things about Red Bull really struggled. But before I go on that, let's talk about Kimi and Bottas. They just didn't look like they had the pace of their two teammates. They were running slightly different strategies and running a different race. Valtteri said he was struggling with the super, with the ultra softs early on. Um, thought that he was going to overheat the tyres too much, so he he didn't really lean on them as much, and and he couldn't lean on it. Kimi struggled with understeer, and again he was running a slightly different strategy, so it didn't work for him. But they both did the two fastest laps of the race towards the uh, end of the Grand Prix with two laps to go. So they they both have the potential, and I think they'll be up there as well um, when they hook it together. Um, uh, back to Red Bull, what a terrible weekend for them. I mean, Max showed a bit of speed in the race, but, you know, they're over a second away in qualifying and they've really got a lot of work to do and they know it. Um, you know, Adrian Newey was here, Rob Marshall was here, um, the two chief sort of technical architects, along with Paul Monaghan, who's at every Grand Prix as a chief, uh, who looks after the engineering side. And, and they've really got to get their thinking caps on to try and get it together. Um, 
we'll see. You know, they, obviously Renault still have to push on. They talked about going to an older spec MG UK with the ERS unit. So they, they still have to solve their reliability issues uh, before they get their, their ultimate peak power sorted. So we'll see if Red Bull can offer the chance because they've got undoubtedly or well, not undoubtedly, but arguably, the most exciting driver lineup on the grid. So we want to see Max and Daniel right up at the front. Um, the rest in midfield, just to sort of sum up, uh, Williams, I think, um, thought they were going to be best of the rest, but then Haas did an amazing job. Roman Grosjean's lap, um, lap in qualifying was brilliant, absolutely brilliant. Kevin Magnussen really struggled this weekend. We'll see if he can get it together. Uh, but Grosjean was was a standout standout performance in qualifying. Uh, come the race, though, obviously reliability problems uh, sort of took over, and that cost him a lot of points. But the midfield looks like it's um, in qualifying. Haas were up there. They were up and down last year. They had inconsistencies, so we'll have to see if they can iron that out this season. Otherwise, Williams looked like they're ahead of the bunch, um, f- followed by Toro Rosso, Force India. Um, Renault sort of nipping at their heels as well um, and finally I think my last point has got to say about Antonio Giovinazzi I thought he did a fantastic job this weekend I was a bit surprised with Verline's uh, statement saying he didn't feel he had enough time to train I mean I spoke to Checo Perez and a bunch of other guys and they thought well, it's not. they didn't think it was a super physical race because the pace was still um, not as quick as qualifying, you know, there were still four or five seconds a lap off in race pace. So um, none of the drivers looked completely spent. So I think Verline might come to regret that because Giovinazzi got in, qualified under two tenths away from Ericsson and drove, you know, drove really, really well on Saturday, Sunday. So that, that might be a problem for Verline come the long term. Anyway, this is, uh, that's the end really for me and the summary of the Australian Grand Prix from my side. Uh, I'll be back in China in a couple of weeks' time. See you later. Hi, this is Freddie Spencer reporting after the 2017 Qatar MotoGP race. First off, I want to give a shout-out to the British talent team and their Scotsman writer, John McPhee. This is a perfect example of when giving the support the opportunity, and, and kind of the knowing that, that this is it. You know, he knows this is a great opportunity for him. And, and it kind of comes together and the great ride that he had. And so it's great morale for morale boost for him, the team, and, and, and everyone. And let's just hope they continue that because I think that'd be a great story as the year goes on. Now let's move to MotoGP. We know that in practice, it kind of went as we expected with Vinales. Uh, getting uh, pole position, even though uh, qualifying was rained out, I still feel that probably Vinales would have been right there um, and battling for pole probably would have got pole. But, you know, the track conditions uh, were such in practice that we know it's just inconsistent. You know, there's that issue of as the night goes on. In fact, Lorenzo brought up the fact that maybe they they should move the race, and other riders talk about this too, I move the race a little bit earlier in the evening, right, right around after dusk. Temperature would be up a little bit, probably be a little more consistent, 
and um, less chance of, of that dramatic change in temperature that happens as they get around about 9, 9.30, 10 o'clock. But as my dad used to say, same conditions for everyone. So you just go out there and do, do your job, do the best you can do. Now the British writer, Scott Redding, uh, he's continuing that great form that he started in, in winter testing. And again, another good example uh, of taking advantage of the opportunity. In fact, if you compare him to his teammate, uh, Petrucci, on the 2017 bike, Scott's doing a great job. But I think it's also an example of how the 2015, 2016, even of course 2017 Ducatis are very similar. And one of the things that you like to see when bikes being provided like that to teams and satellite teams is it seems to be bikes, as, as uh, Batista and them are shown, that you can adapt to many different typewriters and their writing styles. And so that, that's a good indication that Ducati's doing something good with that and they're providing bikes of a high level, um, as you can see in the performance of the non-factory riders. That, that's really good and that you want to see um, if bikes are being provided in that, re that respect. But Scott Redding getting seventh place in the race. Um, again, he said afterwards that he is so appreciative for this opportunity and the team believing in him. And, and he's a rider that needs that. Um, and let's just hope that he continues on because obviously he's shown that he has the ability. Cal Crutchlow, uh, the other rider, uh, that really struggled that weekend or over this weekend. He started out, unfortunately, he had the oil leak in the first practice and he had to basically get on this other bike. And, and sometimes is if we believe it kind of happens, which it does, you know, if a weekend starts off badly, it could end up in a positive, but sometimes it kind of carries on. And in this case, when, when Cal got to the starting line for the race and with the delay, um, he was one of two riders on the Honda specifically uh, that were running the front tire, hard front tire. And um, the recommendation was given to him, both, both him and Mark, who I'll talk about in a second, to make the change. I've been in that situation before uh, where you get this input, but inside you believe you want to stick to your guns because it is ultimately you and the motorcycle and the conditions. You are the one that knows when you're on the edge, you're in that situation and pushing at that limit and sensing and feeling everything, what you need to be able to have that confidence to maintain that performance. And I think Cal, he talked about it afterwards that he, he should have stuck to his guns and, and because he, he knew he should, probably should have, he should have kept that hard front tire. But he made that change and he paid the price. He had the crash, unfortunately. And then he picked the bike back up to continue on. The throttle stuck because there was mud on the handlebar and the grip and, and he had the second crash. And so unfortunately that, that bad luck kind of started in the weekend with the oil leak continued on for him through the weekend. And let's just hope, and I believe that as he said, he, he, he felt he could maybe finish in the top five, and, and he probably could have. Um, that it, it'll turn around when he gets to Argentina. Next rider is Mark Marquez on the factory Honda. Now, Mark has talked about the struggle in acceleration. It's one of the reasons why him and Cal are using that hard front, is trying to compensate for that lack of exit speed by increasing their entry speed. And, um, and they need that extra stability. And again, Mark got that same um, information, recommendation, and he went to the medium front. Mark got a great start 
and he's an incredibly talented race three-time MotoGP world champion. And so he worked, was working around it, the problems in the beginning of the race, but he would have felt that it was going to be difficult. He made the smart choice, which is not to push it and, and take a chance of crashing, but to get those uh, fourth-place points because he knows the championship is long. And he learned that lesson last year uh, by making that decision, as we all do when we're in that situation, is do I keep pushing or do I back off a little bit because and, and be there to fight another day, get the best points that I can in this race? And he did that, which was a smart choice. Now, if we look at the factory Ducatis, uh, we talked about Scott Redding, the great performance he did. Vicioso, what a great ride. Um, if you look at the performance of him and his teammate, uh, Jorge Lorenzo, uh, and the difference of how they utilized and, and took advantage of the opportunity, the kind of unsure conditions, um, you know, but Davicioso, who's finished second there these last years, um, he was second again. But he really had a great race. And um, it was probably surprising a lot of people, a bit to me, you know, that when Vinales did get up there, and same thing with Mark, that he fought back each time. And, um, and it looked like that he maybe win the, well, he might have a chance to win the race. But he took advantage of every opportunity that he had. And it was smart. And that's what I would have done too when he put on at the last moment a good example of kind of trust in your instinct. And he went to the soft rear tire when he saw that it was the race was delayed 35 minutes. More, that's probably, I would have done the same thing. Uh, and just trusted my ability to, to be able to kind of pace myself and get a good start, see how those first five laps would go, and then so forth. And he did that. And you could see he was right there at the very end. Now, his teammate, Jorge Lorenzo, what a disappointment. Uh, we know the struggles. We talked about that um, after the testing broadcast where I talked about him trying to adjust to the conditions of the Ducati and the things it needs on corner entry, using more brake pressure, not to be able to carry quite as much rolling speed to allow the motorcycle then to change direction mid-corner and then utilize the, the Ducati's strongest point, which is acceleration and top speed. But he's still struggling with that. And, and it was really interesting. If you saw in the race, he ran wide and he kind of got back in there in 17th, worked up, but he was just never a factor. And that's... That is how Jorge, it is for him sometimes. You could see his lack of confidence in the way he went about the race and his struggles. And, it's, and if that's going to be an indicator of how things are going to go, it's going to be a long season for him and, and the Ducati team. And they've already kind of tamped down some of the expectations. So we'll see where it goes from there. But Divisioso, there's not as much pressure on him. He went out, great ride, and did a great job. Valentino Rossi. Now, Valentino, you, if you, you know, practice is not an indicator, as we've seen, of how the race is going to go for him. He goes out there and methodically, in his way, goes about getting the bike working for him. I believe he works probably about 90%, you know, 85, 80-90% of what he can do. And he's able then to then, in the race, step it up. Got the bike working as best it possibly could, and he goes out and he knows how to manage the race. And what a great performance for him. It's great for MotoGP, and it's an indication of not only what he's able to do, in this case on Sunday evening, but also how good that M1 is and then being able to adapt to the conditions. And then his teammate, Maverick Vinales, 
What a great ride for him. In the beginning, it looked like when he was dropping back that he may not be able to run the pace that the top three were. But that wasn't the case at all. He was just managing the race because he knew exactly what he could do. And he has taken advantage of that opportunity. If we go back for a second and talk about him and Mark as kids, and then the different paths they took. Mark had kind of everything with Emilio, uh, his manager who helped him for years and who kind of brought him along the opportunity of Repsol Honda uh, team from a very early age. He was the young golden boy, and, and he took advantage of that. And then Maverick Rinales kind of took a different route through stayed in Moto2, of course won the Moto3 championship, but his was a little bit different, different teams and different opportunities. Now is his time. And in the race, he really showed his maturity and his also belief in his ability. And for that, it was a great race for him. And it'd be interesting to see. I can't wait now to see how Mark comes back, Valentino is there, and of course, Vinales, and see if he can continue on. See you next time. Thank <laughs> you.